Hey everybody, Michael Davis here and welcome to Bone to Pick. Uh, I am incredibly excited for uh, our guest today. Um, uh, I had the great fortune of meeting him this spring and hearing him. Uh, it's astoundingly great player. I consider him the preeminent trombone soloist in the world of classical music today. Uh, he hails from Bolzano, Italy. Uh, he studied in Austria and ultimately ended up getting his uh, degree from the Juilliard School here in New York. That was in 2016. Uh, he has performed with uh, numerous orchestras around the world, including the Vienna Philharmonic, the New York Philharmonic, Dallas Symphony, Munich Philharmonic, the BBC Scottish Symphony Orchestra, just to name a few. Uh, he has released six critically acclaimed uh, albums as a solo artist. He was a prize winner at the 2019 International Tchaikovsky Competition in Russia. He's currently on a five-month U.S. tour. We were so fortunate to get him. Uh, he was up at NEC in Boston last night, and he's going to be at Juilliard tomorrow. Um, his name is Peter Steiner. I'm sure many, many of you know who he is. Uh, I was so fortunate, as I mentioned, I got to uh, meet him in, in, uh, in the spring. Um, Professor Mark Lusk at Penn State has this wonderful event called Fruling Posan. And um, he was a guest, and I was a guest, and Bill Reichenbach was a guest. And I heard this gentleman play, and I was blown away. It's some of the best trombone playing I've ever heard in my life. And I just looked at Bill, and I said, because I didn't really know who Peter was yet, and, uh, and I said, do you know who this guy is? And Bill's like, oh, yeah, we're all aware of him out in L.A. So they got to jump on me. But we're, uh, Peter, thanks so much for being here today, for taking time out of your crazy busy schedule and your tour to, to stop off and chat with us a bit about your uh, illustrious career. Well, thanks for having me. It's very, very humbling to, to be in these uh, walls where all this <laughs> magic happens. Well, it's nice of you to say. Um, let's talk about growing up in Italy. Yes. I mean, how cool is that? Like, we, we all, I know uh, as Americans, we all always fantasize about the, the European lifestyle. But uh, you obviously uh, had something going on in Italy. And, uh, and what, what drew you to music and the mm -hmm. trombone uh, when you were growing up? So I grew up in Bolzano, Italy. It's right in the Dolomites in the middle of the mountains. So on the border to Austria, all the way north. So that's why, you know, my accent is more Germanic. I look much more Germanic <laughs> than Italian. And um, there's a big cultural tradition, you know, that's about wind band music there. Uh, it's ingrained in the tradition of everybody there around. Mm. And uh, okay. so I grew up playing in wind ensembles all the time in wind band. Uh, my family is full of musicians. My sisters both play instruments. My dad used to play the tuba. So we used to create a lot of noise in our household. <laughs> and uh, I was creating noise from the very beginning on at the early age. I was always kind of uh, playing around, especially percussionistic. Uh, and uh, I wanted to become a drummer. That was really okay. my yeah, go-to. Yeah. But my mom said, no, we can't. That's, that's, no, we can't do that. So I went with the second loudest because um, uh, there was... Back in the day, there was a bass trombonist in the wind band where my family played in, where my sisters and my dad played in. And he was just going all in all the time. And I, I really, really uh, just fell in love with uh -huh. uh, pedal notes being very, very loud and prominent. So that's really what drew me to, to playing the trombone. And then um, I was very fortunate to have a teacher at the age of six already that didn't force me to go to the recorder or to the piano or to take singing lessons. He immediately started me off with uh, breathing exercises, hmm. uh, mouthpiece buzzing, because uh, obviously the trombone was not really at age six reachable. Yeah. P-bones yeah. didn't really exist yet. Yeah. So 
Um, but he saw that there was somebody that really wanted to create noise with this <laughs> pipe here, I guess. And uh, so I really had a for the fortune is that he was really um, always thinking and talking about basics. Mm. And that's, mm -hmm. that was always ingrained into me at a young age. Um, and yes, then I just really always had fun creating music, uh, playing with others in wind band. Um, I guess they saw some talent at the early age. So when um, when I was nine, I remember it was the first time that I could solo with the with the local wind ensemble, or I, maybe nine or ten or so. Wow! And already, was, already the path is the soloist. That's yeah, awesome. That was so much fun. I just remember walking out there. My sisters were there. My dad was there. It was just so much fun playing. And you know, as a kid, you don't really there's no stage fright. You go out yeah. there, and there's you just you just play. Yeah. People look at you completely shocked, and it's just the biggest fun that you can you know have. So. Um, yeah, I think that was a big passion all the time, and that mm -hmm. just kind of helped um, getting through the harder times because mm -hmm. teenage teenage years are not so you know you kind of get a little bit drawn away from making music because there's other cooler things in life, uh, a lot Indeed. of temptations and uh, <laughs> but you know since it's so traditionally involved in the public life there, I think it it was good for me that I just kept at it and there was so many concerts that I played with the wind band and wind ensemble brass band and. Um, yeah, so that it was wow. really, really fun growing up there and uh, just basically breathing and living music all mm -hmm. the time. You know, M Milan is only three hours from there. They have very good opera there, good orchestra there. Sure. Verona is really close. Uh, Vienna is very close. Munich is only three hours. So all these major places, major cities with very big cultural uh, impact, especially mm -hmm. in music mm -hmm. and arts, are so close by that you know there's very heavy influence in the region where I grew up. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, what a great foundation and uh, opportunities as a young person. And then you went to uh, you studied uh, your your studies continued in Austria. Yes. Tell mm -hmm. us a little about, about about that experience. Since where I grew up is so close to Austria, um, yeah. it's just an hour drive, and then we are in Austria. Mm -hmm. um, I was looking at places where I could. Uh, further study after I was done at the local conservatory. The one really cool thing about the European way of studying that is that you can attend a conservatory during high school already. So like uh -huh. something okay. like Juilliard, which is a conservatory, um, they offer um, pre-college, but that's just once a week. Uh -huh. It's just a Saturday event. And you can do that technically in Europe, uh, you know, just your regular studies already during your high school. So I got my first bachelor's when I was 16, which was really, really cool. I was, wow. you know, I did uh, trombone classes, I did trombone choir, theory, and a lot of those things at a very young age. And uh, then um, my parents thought that it's very valuable that I f first finish high school before really just going for <laughs> trombone, which, is, which was good a very call. Good, yeah. good call and uh, good guidance. And... Um, then, you know, I had two years that I had, you know, I was 16 when I finished that degree. So I thought, you know, I have two more years in high school. I really, I should refine my playing before I then hopefully go and study with Mr. Alessi. Because mm. that was always my goal, mm. my, my dream to be in New York one day and mm -hmm. studying with him. Um, so in the Munich Philharmonic, the principal trombonist, his name is Danny Bonver. He teaches in Salzburg, which is three hours from my hometown. Okay. Um, and by that time, my dad had retired already, so he was gracious enough to, to drive me there once a week or once every ah, two weeks wow. okay. to have lessons and to do the theory classes and do all of that in one day. And then we drove right back home. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. um, the last couple of years at high school were very 
already oriented on trombone okay. and on, on skipping class as much yeah. as possible. <laughs> there you go. So, <laughs> yeah, I got that time in Salzburg and I really had an amazing time. He was really focused on, on basics, on scales. That was his thing, scales, scales, mm -hmm. scales all the time. So that was crucial from 16 to age 18, 19. That was really, really helpful. Mm. And I okay. had an awesome time with studying somebody of that, you know, you know, principal Trimone of the Munich Philharmonic is a really prestigious job. Sure, of course. Uh, so he definitely knows his stuff and mm -hmm. that, was, that was really valuable. And then, as I said, yeah, my big dream was always. Yeah, you know, let's, let's talk a little bit about Juilliard and, and uh, and what that was like, of course, studying with uh, the great Joe Alessi is always uh, an inspiring thing for everybody. But tell yeah. me your experience. So when I grew up, I remember one Christmas I got uh, a gift from my sisters, which was the Illumination CD by Joe Alessi, where he plays the T-Bone Concerto and uh, Blue Bells of Scotland and some more pieces. And I, I was shocked. Mm. I remember I put it in on the Christmas day and it just... It just went on loop, the album. <laughs> I almost wore the CD out, if that's possible, wearing a CD out. Uh, I couldn't believe that something was possible on the instrument of that, of that beauty. Yeah. And, uh, and then it was always kind of a dream to one day hopefully meet that person. Uh, and uh, yeah, then the Juilliard audition happened. And uh, luckily I got in. There were so many people auditioning and I have no idea why and how I got in, but... I'm pretty sure I know why, but we'll discuss that. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yes, it was very, very... So did you come to New York to audition, or was yes. there... Okay. Yes, I came here yeah. uh, with, my, with my parents, actually. Oh, it was nice. their first time coming to the U.S. It was my second time, because I came one time before just to check out everything uh, and have a lesson with Mr. Lassie before the audition. And then we basically came over for a week of vacation mm -hmm. we did all the tourist things for a week and then there was this one day i remember it was a wednesday uh where i just escaped for a couple hours and i went to take the audition at juilliard and then i came back to them and yeah they waited outside the building and then we just went back to being tourists <laughs> wow. so you know there was not uh not a whole lot of pressure on on making it happen it was just a dream and i yeah I thought I would give it a shot, and then it worked out. Wow, that's yeah. great. So did you do, how many years were you studying at, at Juilliard? Uh, what do you mean? You mean, did you get your bachelor's degree there, or master's degree? At Juilliard, I did an undergrad degree. Undergrad degree, I, I wanted okay. to start okay. one more time fresh, and I wanted, I wanted to get the full four-year four, experience yeah. Sure. with, yeah. with yeah, Joe. Yeah. Because I thought, you know, if I could have technically continued as a master's because I got the bachelor's already in Europe. Right. But... Uh, I wanted to get the full experience. I yeah. wanted to have four years of uh, training. Yeah, awesome. Um, one of the things that fascinated me looking at your, your bio is, is your time in the, in the Vienna Philharmonic. Mm -hmm. So I think it was, you were 23 and you got the appointment for your position with the Vienna Philharmonic. Mm -hmm. Is that concurrent with the Vienna State Opera? It was the same? Yes. same, yes. same? Mm -hmm. What was that like? And did that follow, I guess, right after Juilliard? Yeah, yeah that was well. also very shocking. I mean, there were a lot of shocking <laughs> events during those times, just <laughs> one after the other. Um, first, uh, I did two years of studies with Joe. And then um, I remember it was the penultimate school day of my sophomore year. There was an audition at the Colorado Symphony, uh, and I got okay. awarded a one-year contract as principal trombonist. So I was 21 years old, which was really, really shocking. <laughs> too. Um, so I had to end my studies, actually, after these two years. I moved to Colorado, 
uh, played one year there and then decided to move back because I wanted to really refine my playing even more. Wow, okay. So then I did my third year at Juilliard where all my friends were in their fourth year, which kind of felt a little bit weird. And then in the middle of that third year, the audition for the Vienna Philharmonic happened. Um, the Vienna Philharmonic is slash the Vienna State Opera. Oh, okay. Your main employee is the Vienna State Opera. The Vienna Philharmonic is um, kind of their side hustle, if you want oh, to call wow, it that okay. way. Oh, wow, interesting. Yeah. I didn't know that. Okay. So they're a combined orchestra. If you want to look at it, basically like the Met and the New York Philharmonic combined. Combined the one. So oh. they play orchestra every night, and then on top of that, they have some philharmonic concerts. Wow, okay. So it's, there's a lot of people hired in that entire group. So there's right. a lot of, uh, you know, constant rotation, uh, multiple sections hired. Mm -hmm. It's a big, mm -hmm. big, big group. Mm. Um, so that happened during my third year at Juilliard and then I, I just got a diploma. I, that's when I finished my time at Juilliard. I didn't really get the undergrad degree, but they gave me a diploma. Okay. And then I moved to, to Vienna. Um, which was just uh, mind-blowing at such a <laughs> young age, sharing the stage with uh, musicians of that caliber was mm -hmm. uh, every day goosebumps in every rehearsal, in, in concerts. Uh, I had to pinch myself very, very <laughs> often. Just, yeah, it's a it was a dream come true. I bet, yeah. It was really. Yeah. And uh, traveling the world with, with that ensemble, I mean, I went on an Asia tour, uh, Europe was, you know, Europe tours are not even like on radar because you're constantly on tour with them. It's just ah, interesting. Okay. It was, it was really, really an, an awesome experience and uh, something I really, really, really look back at. And I'm so happy that I, I got to experience that and do that. And I yeah. think that really influences a lot of decisions that I do these days. Mm -hmm. A lot of things that I saw then, you know, I met so many great uh, conductors, soloists. I saw the best of the best on mm. a daily basis at mm. such a young age. Sure. And as a trombonist, you have a lot of time to analyze them. <laughs> <laughs> you sit there and you look at them and you try to figure out what makes them so special, what makes them stand out, what makes them survive these really big uh, pressure situations in a, in a way that is just so artistic and so easy looking. But it's not easy, you know, mm -hmm. they, they work really hard. So you have a lot of time to analyze all these people walking in and out on a daily basis on the opera as well. You know, you hear the, those singers every day uh, on the top of their career, um, singing these arias in the most beautiful way and an audience of 2,000 people losing their mind because it's so beautiful. Mm -hmm. So you are in an environment that is, yeah, it's, it's really, really special. Mm. Yeah, unbelievable. Um, well, you, you kind of touched exactly in the direction I want to go. One of the things that I, I find, and we're, we're going to talk about this at great length, but it's... First of all, it's unbelievably hard to become a trombone soloist, especially in the, the classical world, you know, and, and to sustain yourself as a solo artist. It's remarkable that what you've accomplished already, and you're still a very young man. Um, maybe talk about your, and you just touched on it a little bit, but your development and your desire to become a soloist. Because mm -hmm. I think when we spoke uh, at Penn State, you, I asked, did you consider, oh, just staying in, in the Vienna Philharmonic, even though I know it was a year position, but I'm sure you would have been in line for a full, full time position mm -hmm. if you wanted to stay. And you were, if I, not to put words in your mouth, but I think you said, no, I, I really was thinking along these other lines. But so mm -hmm. what was that like at the beginning when you decided, okay, I'm going to go for this impossible gold ring over yeah. here in, in the solo world. It was definitely very, very challenging in the very beginning to wrap my mind around it uh, and also to wrap other people's mind around <laughs> it. 
uh, <laughs> I convince other people that this is something that could be done and is uh, something that you could financially make happen, but also sustain musically and all of these different artistic perspectives that come into this are very, very challenging. Uh, and uh, it hasn't really been done before except, I would say, Mr. Christian Lindbergh, right. uh, mm -hmm. who has been really paving a way for that solo trombone as an instrument. They have followed multiple more after that, Alento Del, Michel Piquet, uh, Joe Alessi, mm -hmm. uh, Jürgen van der Rijn, Ian, but there's so many more that came after Christian, but I think Christian was the only full-time soloist that lived from being a soloist right. and didn't teach a side or didn't play in an orchestra. Right. And that was the main job. The main job was being a soloist. So it was something that I had a very hard time wrapping my mind around. But it was always a dream of mine. It was always mm -hmm. a desire of mine. As I said earlier, as in the young age, I got the chance to, to kind of experience it as a soloist in front of just, you know, even if it's just a local wind band, it really matters to you when you're in that, in that moment. So um, that special spotlight I really, really always enjoyed. <laughs> that was something about it that I, that I desire, I mm -hmm. guess. And um, I, when I decided to study then with, with Joe, the focus shifted towards uh, orchestral playing simply because that's what he mostly teaches. You know, mm -hmm. he, you know, he discusses with you what you want to achieve and you know, of course, your answer is I want to become an orchestral player at that point. At mm -hmm. least for me, that was the answer because I didn't see that possibility. I always mm -hmm. thought, okay, it's cool to dream of being a soloist, but this will never happen anyways. So right. go the route that everybody else is doing and then try to make it in that way because that way is already such a hard way. Um, and then I remember my first lesson, I had the Gründal on the stand. So I wanted to learn a solo. And that was my goal with Joe. Uh, but now we went to Arbans, we went to Bordonis, we went to Fundamentals immediately. We didn't touch the Gründal. And... Um, so it, it has always been part of me, I guess. Melodies especially are something that I love. I love uh, any type of music, radio, when I switch it on or when I go to the opera or the symphony or whatever, rock, whatever I hear, whatever music, if there's a melody that I can hang on to, that I can whistle afterwards, that I can sing all day, uh, you know, earworms, I really mm -hmm. love. Just mm -hmm. the fact that there is something that catches your attention and does not go away, it's such a cool fact of something. Uh, you know, when you eat food, the smell or the taste is kind of gone after half an hour, <laughs> an hour. You mostly just feel it down there. But, but uh, yeah, that was something very, very special. When you, uh, when I heard you in the, in, uh, in, in the spring, your, your facility just blew my mind. Your technique was, I mean, I've, I don't think I've ever heard the trombone at that level. Perhaps martial jokes but other than that you too are on, on your uh, on a special planet to, that you guys are on but anyway you you just touched on the arbens factor and i remember asking you how you how did you develop this level of technique and i said did you get this all from joe and uh, and you said well you know you, you got a lot from joe but basically you said you know if i if i'm if my memory serves me correctly it was you just Arbens, 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 all day long, it just completely. And would you say that that's Absolutely. the main thing that helped get? I mean, for those of you who don't, go get one of his CDs today, and uh, and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about because the the technique is mind. It's just it's mind blowing. But um, any, anyway, tell us about how how you approach that, and because mm -hmm. we all play Arbens as brass players, yeah. but. Not to not with that level of result. <laughs> I think, you know, to be honest, I think the only world that doesn't 
play the harbans the way they are supposed to be are the trombonists. Because if mm. you listen to trumpet players play the harbans, they go really crazy at them. Yeah. Uh, if you listen to tuba players or horn players or euphonium players, they do some crazy stuff with the harbans. <laughs> and I feel like we trombonists have kind of been a little bit behind on that. We have kind of kept it to the quarter notes and... Uh, a half note, uh, you know, kind of stayed in that realm and really analyzed that really well. And I think that's a really important solid foundation that we need. You need to have that um, really comfortable feeling on just executing this, let's call them easy techniques, half mm -hmm. notes, quarter notes. It's very, very hard to make quarter notes consistent sure. and exactly the way you want them. But I think that's a solid foundation that you need to have in order to then uh, evolve, hopefully, your technique to a different level. Um, for me, the most logical step when deciding to be a soloist was that I have to elevate my technique. Mm -hmm. Because when I listen to other soloists of other instruments, violin, piano, uh, cello, those soloists, the soloists are the ones that stick out. You know, those are the ones that have the best abilities on the instrument. That's the reason why they are soloists. Mm -hmm. So I thought I have to elevate my, my technique and, you know, that's a constant endeavor. I'm fighting on it every day. I try to to make the technique better and to, you know, to just kind of keep polishing and keep refining and keep elevating it, hopefully. Um, but I think I, th that was a really big chunk of my practice went into that thought, okay, I, I really need to to push what, what I think is possible on the instrument. Because as you say, there's other people, and I think there's a couple of people that are, to me, were very shocking when I heard it, like Jim Markey, for example. Sure. Yeah, I saw yeah. some recordings and I, I couldn't comprehend what was happening. Or same with Marshall Jilks, you hear, or Joe, sometimes you hear things and you're just like, ha, huh, this is something I heard for the first time being done on, on this instrument. Mm -hmm. I was used to it mm -hmm. on a violin, but wow, this is really, huh. You know, I, I thought it's just pop, 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 pop. <laughs> you know, that was the initial thought. But there's so much more that we can actually do um, that so many people have, have pushed for doing that. I think that was one of my main goals. I yeah. put a lot of time in it. I still put a lot of time in it. Um, Arbans and scales. Scales, arpeggios, these fundamental aspects, finding the fun and love in them and polishing them to, yeah, to yeah. the fullest. You know, when I sit down and I have time to practice, I sit down and practice scales. That's my go-to. Mm -hmm. I start and I just stay in one key and I go over. First one is one octave, establish a comfortable feeling. Then I start to add the second octave. Then I go all glissando, then all, just in all different crazy ways you can imagine them. I mm -hmm. think it's very oftentimes we stay as brass players, as trombonists mainly, we stay in such boxes mentally. Um, Try to imagine what, what else is possible. Listen to mm -hmm. other instrumentalists' practice. You know, I listen a lot to... Um, I go on YouTube and I just check out how different um, soloists, for example, violinists practice. Because, you know, there's this, this, this great age of all this video content out there. Sure. You can yeah. learn from all of these different instrumentalists just by going on YouTube. And when you see how they practice those Paganini capriccios over and over and over, of course they have the technique then. Mm -hmm. We never really push our instrument to those those limits. The limits for us trombonists is Arthur Pryor mm -hmm, mm -hmm. when it comes to classical trombone playing, I would say, and that's the extent that we go to. And, mm -hmm. you know, Bluebells of Scotland is fun, but there's much more out there. You know, if yeah. you just, you know, playing just a Bach cello suite is already te uh, so technically challenging. And we, um, yeah, I think we trombonists, we just always stick to, to other things, I mm -hmm. would say. We have, so I think that was a big, and is a big part of my practice is to 
refine my technique and also um, be open for what is possible because mm -hmm. I you know there's no limits yeah I think we can keep pushing them and keep exploring what is possible that's a great way to look at it and you've obviously pushed the envelope of trombone technique to a whole other level so listeners are going to be looking at the trombone differently because of you it reminds me of a story that Frank Rossellino, the great uh, Frank Rossellino, uh, told when he was a kid growing up. They said, how, you know, how did you figure out how to tongue that fast? And he said his sister was a violin player, and she'd be practicing in the room next to him, and he would just mimic it on the trombone. Exactly, yeah. And uh, kind of a similar mental approach that you're taking is, mm -hmm. is that, wow, I'm hearing this from other soloists. This is what makes them such great soloists. This mm -hmm. is what I have to do on my instrument to, to mm -hmm. make that translate. Beautiful stuff. Um, let's talk about your, your solo records. Uh, I know I had it wrong. I thought it was four, but it's six. Uh, six solo projects, which is already, and you're a very young guy, so uh, like lots to come for sure on, on that front. But tell us about some of them and uh, what's your maybe your latest mm -hmm. one, your first one, yeah. and, and, uh, and your work with, uh, with Constance and just... Yeah. So recording albums has always been also again a dream of mine i grew up with a lot of dreams i always kind of <laughs> dream big i don't know why uh, that is kind of implanted in me i guess and uh i grew up listening to joel cd and i don't know there's 30 of them mm -hmm. then uh once i wore all of those out uh, i went to all the christian Lindbergh cds and there is i don't know 50 of them so mm. you know there were these two gentlemen that were just producing so much content over those you know years but for me it was all compact because i when I started to think more the trombone route, I was like, okay, now I'm gonna get my hands on all of these recordings. So it was like an instant moment where I had like 100 new CDs <laughs> that I basically, I don't know how I got them back in the day, but um, it was like, okay, these two gentlemen have created something. Maybe that's possible also for me one day. You know, maybe just one CD with my face on the cover, that would be something mm. that I can think of but maybe it's possible you know that was always just a little dream of of things like that so um then you know when i graduated from juilliard and the vienna state opera vienna philharmonic um thing was happening i just thought you know now might be the right time to just uh do my just, debut uh -huh. cd yeah. and i recorded it with friends that i was having a great time during that time and collaborating during that time with so it was a, a project of heart basically and just kind of the first stamp uh, of you know this is a project that I have created I've organized everything I have yeah it's just my first project mm -hmm. really, which was really fun and then I met Constanze and from there on it just kind of uh, evolved into a crazy <laughs> crazy journey we seem to uh, release an album every year since we have met uh, and we already have kind of a plan for the next I don't know five six seven CDs in awesome. our heads already, uh -huh. which is just crazy. But uh, I guess we have found each other in our crazy ways together. <laughs> and uh, so the first CD Constance and I did was um, a program that we performed on our first world tour together. That CD is entitled Sapphire. Um, then we have created some very cool projects now during the pandemic, especially. Mm. I'm very lucky Constance is also an organist, mm. so okay. I can uh, use her in that <laughs> way as well. Um, we have an album that's called Binary Star. It's all orchestral literature that was arranged for the two of us. So it's a very personalized project, all music written for us. Um, we put a lot of heart into that project. We, yeah, we did a lot of work on that ourselves. Mm -hmm. And then during the pandemic, we learned how to edit. Oh, good for you. Yeah. Uh, we 
you know, video editing, audio editing, we really tried to get the best out of the time that was given to us by the pandemic. And uh, then we produced two more albums now during the pandemic. One is a Christmas album entitled The First Noel. And then the last release of Constanza and I together is the current program that we are tra traveling the world mm. with. Mm -hmm. It's entitled 2022. We mm -hmm. thought that's a fitting title for hopefully this new start. And, um, and then I also released recently an album together with the Saget Trombone Ensemble um, from Hungary. So mm. yes, it's, it's really, really fun. I, I, I enjoy recording. There's mm -hmm. something to it that is really, really super challenging because you set your sure. goals so high and it's like you work towards it. And I feel like always in that preparation, in that, in that work towards something, you learn so much and you push yourself to, to limits that you didn't know before existed. So I always love to set myself goals like these, like albums, releases. Also learning the editing process, which uh, was a big goal. And, you know, we edited an entire CD, the entire project, the entire album 2022 was realized by the two of us. That's, mm -hmm. that's awesome. That's so cool to think of. And uh, yeah, there's so much more to come. <laughs> oh, I have no doubt. <laughs> I can't wait. It's going to be, uh, it's going to be awesome. Well, let's talk a little bit about the tour that you're on right now, which um, for those of you go to go to Peter's website and, uh, and check it out. Um, it's pretty uh, it's pretty uh, impressive what, you've, what you're putting together just on this tour alone. I mean, this is the, uh, you know, many more to come, of course. But um, talk a little bit maybe about the logistics of putting it together, because I'm sure just like it is in the in the jazz world, you know, all the great jazz trombonists that we, we talked about, Marshall and Michael Deese and, and Ryan Keverly and all these great young players, you know, when they go out to, to do a tour, they're hustling like madmen to try to get the dates booked, get hotels, deal with airfares, doing everything. And correct me if I'm wrong, you're, you kind of manage everything your, yourselves between you and, and Constantine. And uh, talk a little bit about what that's like, because that's a whole other hat that you're wearing uh, in addition to yeah. the virtuosic level playing. Now you've got to be business mind and yeah. minded and an entrepreneur and all those things yes that's a very difficult and yeah especially tricky part of the entire business because you would wish for somebody to do that for you because that would just then would, you could just focus on what you're good at yeah <laughs> you know and uh you have to learn so many new things it's kind of a learning by doing um but it's mostly it's a lot of email work you know uh -huh. you have to reach out to a lot of people in order to get gigs there's nobody waiting around uh, for a trombone and <laughs> organ or a trombone and piano performance. Um, so you have to reach out to a lot of people. Uh, you have to be good at networking. You have to be always, you know, communicating with, with everybody that you meet and uh, socialize all the time. Try to, to get to know everybody in the community and, uh, and, you know, first of all, be a good human being so that they hopefully hire you. So if, you know, if, if they have a good time talking to you, they hopefully will hire you to play for their students or to play a recital at the venue that they know or to solo with their orchestra, whatever the circumstances. So there's so many things that go into getting a gig yeah. <laughs> to start with. Um, but mostly it's email work. Uh, if I would say we send out 100 emails, we get about three to seven or eight responses. Then there is another wave two weeks later of emails sending out mm -hmm. to the remainder of those that didn't respond. And then, you know, it's just a constant circle of emails that you have to go through to remind people that you sent them an email. Um, and also you constantly have to find new uh, engagements, new hosts, new uh, chamber halls, new u universities, new 
ensembles that you haven't collaborated with or that you haven't thought of contacting yet because not everybody that you contact with is going to jump on it. So you have to put out your feelers as much as possible, uh, which is a bit part of the job, um, I would say, to, to get these gigs. That that's the initial thing that you have to get these confirmations. Then the yeah. next step, which is really tricky, is kind of making those confirmations line up in a way that it makes sense logistically. Yeah. Um, usually, when we tour, we try to make that happen geographically. You know, US tour, Asia tour, um, Spain and Portugal tour, um, Benelux States tour, you know, Scandinavia tour. We always try to make it geographically a working tour so you don't just jump jump all around the I world. Was, I was super impressed at how you did it. You, you nailed it on this one. Uh, you yeah, know, just like you were in Philadelphia and then you go up to Boston, back to New York. Like, perfect. You know? it is, it is, it's a work in progress and we learn by doing. And this is not the first tour, thank God. And the, <laughs> the first one did not look like this at all. That was Cleveland, then there was LA, and then there was Dallas. Sometimes okay. happening yeah. day after day. So uh, it's definitely, a, there's a learning curve yeah. happening. Um, but it's you know it's super tricky to make that lineup then that the dates kind of make sense geographically, and then the next thing happens which is booking flights, mm -hmm. booking hotels, booking rental cars, because you can't always you know rental cars is very very crucial because you can't always expect the hosts to help you get from point A to B and then from sure, point B yeah. to C. Well, how how do you get there? So. Rental cars all around the world, which is uh, super fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, hotels, um, which is a bit easier to find hotels, but uh, you know sometimes you always have to find the hotels the closest by. You don't want to waste too much of your time. Uh, flights have been becoming very very tricky to book, super expensive, and a lot of connections got yeah. cancelled during the pandemic. So that's a big portion. So there's so many hours and hours that during a day go into thinking of all the logis logistics of a tour like this. And then, you know, that planning happens usually about a year before the actual event. So right now, as of this, right now I'm thinking about 2024. Oh, okay. Wow. Okay. Uh, so yeah, everything sense. before mm -hmm. that 2003 is pretty much fully booked in engagements and hotel-wise, flight-wise, most of it is kind of... Um, the rough part is figured out. Mm -hmm. So now is already the planning of of almost two years in advance. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so you kind of get into the groove. And of course, in the beginning, it wasn't that way. We were just planning two weeks in advance. and uh, But now the pandemic has also helped that we kind of booked way in advance because we had this big tour about to happen, which currently we are on a four-month four tour throughout the mm -hmm. US, which is mind-blowing wow it really is uh <laughs> it's to, to us as well <laughs> and um and after that we continue yeah and we go to europe we go to asia and then we come right back to the u.s so yeah. well it's very it's really impressive and and uh and congrats to you guys for uh to making it work and making it work so efficiently you know it's a big big part of a, a tour being successful is like not running yourself ragged just logistically yes. you know all that uh kind of stuff um, I know you're an artist with Con Selmer, and I know, I can't remember the gentleman's name that we saw that was uh, with you in, uh, at Jason Penn State. Smith, yeah. Yeah, yes, of course. Um, and I would imagine you get some support from them and some help from them. We're going to talk about your signature trombone mm -hmm. in a minute, but does, I, I would imagine that relationship is helpful that in terms of the helps, touring. Of course, and, you know, they have um, special dealers where they have a lot of, you know, trombones there where they can create events or they can host us for concerts in order to sell more trombones at that store. 
Um, there's other collaborations, like for example with Sweetwater, mm-hmm. Sweetwater Sound. I've created some content with. So yes, there's definitely some extra revenue from that side as well. So mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. definitely helpful. Yeah, cool. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit about your signature horn and uh, the development of that and yeah. how that's going? Another dream. <laughs> so we just seem to go from dream to dream here. Um, I always admired and really respected two really big brands, Con and Bach. Every trombonist always talks about them. You know, when you're sure. when you're growing up, you either have a Con or you have a Bach, and you look at your you know chair next to you and you're like, oh, what trombone do you have? And then you look at the other one, and those two brands always seem to kind of be the recurring. Yeah. Uh, brands and uh, I was always a Bach. I played uh, 42. Mm-hmm. That was my first instrument, as probably many of the listeners here. Sure. Yeah. And um, so I went through a lot of different Bach instruments over the time as a student. I also tried out a lot of other different brands. I pretty much went through all the brands as a student, which I think was very good because I kind of know now what's on the market uh, and I know how every brand you know, is different from each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when this opportunity came up to to help them develop the artisan line of the of the Bach trombones and then to create this signature model, the A47 XPS, I, you know, I had to jump on it. I mm-hmm. couldn't... Sure. Yeah, it was just a dream come true. And I I thought that all the stuff that I went through during my studies, all the instruments that I went through as a kid, as a teenager, all of that knowledge of how the different instruments have to be played, I thought I could put all of that into this instrument. So all of the the flaws or the problems that I noticed, I tried to eliminate here. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, you always face new issues. That's just the way of an <laughs> artist. And as a musician, I think um, you always try to analyze and find out whatever you can improve. But uh, that was just a dream come true to create something with them. And you know, to create something with them, is not, you know, create is probably the wrong word because I didn't create anything, you know, Bach had all the knowledge, the company, they have built trombones for for years and for centuries mm-hmm. in a really, really amazing way. So what I basically did is I asked them to give me the opportunity to, to try out everything they have and then I can pick and combine the way I think it works best for me and also other players. So I wasn't inventing anything, I wasn't creating anything, I just took what was available and made that fit for me and also build an instrument that hopefully others also enjoy, like, and that it helps them just create their sound, create their voice and enjoy their their playing and have fun with it. So Mm -hmm. that was really, really a fun project. It is a fun project. If I can ask you a specific question, the the X that is is made up from the F attachment there, what what is that? Uh, what did that do? I was, yes. I was. It's intriguing to say. I don't think I've ever seen an, an F attachment with that mm-hmm. particular detail in it. Yeah, um, there's been a lot of you know different development. I think with F attachment wraps. Yeah. Um, there's a couple others that have similar, like Shagal and Adams. They have similar designs. I know Shires has their own designs. We all have right. kind of tried to figure out a way to make it feel the best possible, I guess, for sure. ourselves. And Bach has two you know main sections of valve design one is the very the large one the open wrap which is kind of very extended and i always felt like the instrument was very extended (laughs) it felt like i was never able to control it and kind of uh yeah just be in charge of things Mm -hmm. and then they have the other one which is super compact which is the traditional trombone they have 
which many people start on. And I always, with that one, I always felt very comfortable, but I always felt like I couldn't, couldn't bring that one far out enough. I couldn't extend that one far out. Mm, okay. That one always felt a little bit too compact. So I tried to kind of combine these two ideas of extending and compact and create a, a middle ground of those and uh, combine the features of, of both ways. Yeah. That was the, the, that was the main idea behind the X-Rap. Then another big, big step, I think, for Bach was the introduction of the screw bells. Yeah, yeah. Because Bach has been known to be a one-piece bell. It is still a one-piece bell, but then after they make it a one-piece bell, they cut it and they put the, the, the screw on. So that was a really big change, but what, I think... It, what do you find, what does that do for you? Like, what do you, what do you, what is the qualities that come out of having the screw bell? I find that with the screw bell, you definitely can't just take any trombone that you're having right now and cut it and put a screw bell on, because that's going to throw off the, the weight ratio of the entire instrument. Mm -hmm. You know, instruments, they get balanced out in a way that they feel good. Mm -hmm. You certainly know mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. you have done a lot of instrument development, and you, there's a lot of thought that goes into how to balance the instrument correctly. So... We did a lot of experimenting how not to throw off the entire, you know, beauty of a Bach trombone by adding this extra weight here. So we did a lot of experimenting where we can take um, some of the weight out and balance it out quite correctly. So we have a lightweight bell here. And what I find with the screw bell is that I have a certain resistance point that I can always lean against on. When I don't play a screw bell trombone, I always feel like I'm pushing, I'm blowing, I'm blowing, I'm blowing constantly. And my thought is always blow, blow, blow. And I never get a feeling of how far am I blowing? Am I mm -hmm. overblowing? What is, you know, what is, I, I'm having a hard time to get a grasp of the, of the mm -hmm. sound concept. Mm -hmm. When I have the screw on, I, I can lean against it and I immediately know, okay, this is how far I have to go. I don't need to go further. And sometimes, you know, that's just a certain resistance, a certain way that I feel in every screw, screw bell instrument. It's okay. the same for for a Tyne or for a Shires or Courtois, they also make screw bells. I, I find that when a, their instrument has that screw bell and it's balanced right, it gives me at least a certain more comfort in, in knowing where the notes are, in leaning against something. Because mm. you feel, very often you feel quite lonely. <laughs> you know, you have to play something very yeah. challenging yeah. to you at that moment, whether it's soft, whether it's high or even low, whatever it is, it's challenging. So it's... Uh, much more comfortable to have an instrument that helps you and to supports you. So I find with that leaning process that I can lean against to, I have a, a body with me on stage that helps me make my job a bit easier. Interesting. Yeah, great. Yeah. Plus it great makes my traveling yeah. much, much easier. Yeah, right. Maybe so it allows, compact, for, yeah. it allows for a compact case that I've designed together with the guard bags company and I can fit that trombone case in every overhead bin. Great. Uh, they ask me if I'm a violinist, so that's also perfect. That's perfect. <laughs> and if they ever give me trouble, I can just unzip the slide and fit it underneath my, underneath the chair that you're sitting in. Uh -huh. So it's traveling is really easy now. That's with great. That case. Yeah. Because I hate to, you know, when I when you travel, I hate to put my trombone out of sight. Oh, of course. You want to yeah. have it with you, and uh, no, it's not. You want to uh, be as careful as possible because you depend on the instrument as yeah. well. So that's never the answer to let the. Uh, the airlines take your instrument no. and that's not going to work <laughs> well that's a great uh, great description and overview of the horn it's obviously working extremely well for you so uh, that's very cool you know as we as we wind down here this has been so awesome to to talk to you and just pick your brain and uh, hear your uh, your thoughts and uh, you bring so much uh, 
creativity and passion to the music and to your playing and it's it's nice to just hear from you directly about how you've approached things and and developed things it's really amazing you know you touched on what next year looks like and, and that you're planning for 2024 what's the what's the long term uh, look like for you say uh we look at peter steiner 10 years down uh -huh. the road what uh do you have uh, a vision for that or are you going to like uh -huh. l let uh see where the chips fall and uh, yeah. go in whatever direction or how's that how's how do you look at it uh -huh. Well, first of all, I feel very, very flattered that you say these words and that because oh. um, I have to say that, you know, I grew up listening to and watching all of this. So that's why it feels <laughs> so humbling. I, as I told you before, I should also probably tell the listeners, I, my freshman year, Juilliard, I was so overwhelmed with uh, all the names of brass players that were dropped around me because I was not familiar with them. I grew up in Europe, so it was uh, a complete new territory. And I jumped on your YouTube channel and I saw these videos and I... I remember the dorms nights where I just went through all the videos, video after video, Phil Smith, Phil Myers, Joe Alessi, Bill Reichenbach. I just went through all of them. And uh, so all of the stuff that you're hearing today is basically just what I learned from all of these. So I really, really feel humbled to be here and that you say these words. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you. No, it's uh, equally humbling to hear you say that. So we, re we appreciate it very much. So I don't know. I really don't know where, where the road is going to go. Uh, I'm really having a lot of fun with this. Um, I'm having a lot of fun experimenting and seeing what is possible, what is possible for me, what's possible on instrument, what are things that haven't been done, what are things that I think are cool that people have not looked at in a way that they think that they're cool. So a lot of experimenting, you know, like a Christmas album is not something that trombonists usually do. Mm -hmm. But together with Constanze, I just thought, you know, it's just something we should do. We both enjoy Christmas music. We like to listen to Christmas music, music during the Christmas time. So why not create a Christmas <laughs> album? You know, yeah. I know there's a couple out there, but it's not something that is often done. So things like that, I think, are going to come more often. Um, I think we want to tap into more general audiences. We have been playing widely for trombonists around mm. the world mm -hmm. and brass players, which is super fun. I enjoy meeting all of these great players um, all around the world and, and also these young generations connecting with them and hopefully giving something to them that's inspiring them. It's super fun, but it's a dream of mine is also to, to touch general audiences, to mm -hmm. just touch a regular person and be like, oh, trombone can sound cool. Mm. It's not just in marching band in the last row or it's at the <laughs> football field, the super loud thing happening, but it also can be something that people, you know, hear in the radio and they not immediately go to the next channel. <laughs> so, um, you know, we have a performance coming up in a pi public library, which is such a different environment than a university. Mm, the mm -hmm. people there, they sit differently, they enjoy differently, they relax differently than a, than a student. They are completely there for different reasons. So touching some of those people, I think, is definitely a goal mm. of mine and Constanza to play more in regular chamber music halls, play at chamber music series, perform more in, um, with symphony orchestras, with ensembles all around. We have a couple cool double concerti that are being written or have been written for the two of us so wow, Constanze awesome. and me plus orchestra or plus wind band mm -hmm. there's also so much cool repertoire for trombone together with an ensemble mm -hmm. wind band orchestra so i'll definitely try to tap more into that more cds yeah uh, definitely and just simply i think much more fun projects you know yeah. just kind of realizing my dream fulfilling many more dreams I yeah. guess there's many more dreams coming up in all of this and I just really really have fun with all of this
I have no idea where it's going. Well, it's uh, we're, we all can't wait to watch it. We're living vicariously through you <laughs> as you're the trombone solo. So we're gonna say, wow, I could have done that. <laughs> but you're doing it, so it's it's awesome. So continued success, and we can't wait to uh, to see what's next. Everybody can st uh, go to your website, probably keep in Please touch do, with yeah. uh, everything. PeterSteiner.com. Yeah. Yes, uh, SteinerPeter.com. SteinerPeter got time. Peter Sorry. Steiner was taken, so we had to go the other right. <laughs> Oh um, uh, yeah, I like that. I like that it was uh, the other way around. Yeah. That's cool. That's and cool. then uh, all social medias, Instagram, Facebook, whatever. Yeah. They can reach me and uh, if they have any questions, reach out to me. One last question. And uh, I was so impressed when we did the uh, the talk uh, for for Professor Lusk at, at Penn State with and yourself and uh, Costanza and, and Bill Reichenbach and I, mm -hmm. the four of us were on a panel together. And you had such a great uh, which you do all just in general. You have such a great energy about you, but your your way of able to uh, inspire and translate what you've accomplished to the students, to giving them a way of you know, it's possible. I use that all the time myself. And you know, when you're dealing with any kind of playing, it's like you have to ask yourself, is it possible? Mm -hmm. And if you've done it once, then it's possible. You yeah. may not do it every time out, but at any rate. Um, I found it really inspiring how you were uh, able to translate that and, and, and impart that on the students. So I'll ask you one long, long way around to getting to the question. Um, if you were, and you're going to be giving a master class at Juilliard, so if you're, if you're seeing these outstanding young students like you are all at NEC or Curtis or wherever, what advice do you give them in terms of just, it's, it's you know, highly unlikely there's going to be too many Peter Steiners out there, but as they look at you and to see the amazing accomplishments you've had, what do you, mm -hmm. how do you, what do you tell them to say? Well, hopefully, yeah. Yeah. well hopefully there's going to be many more of me out there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, not not of me, but of people that do what I'm doing. Because mm -hmm. we need more. We uh -huh. need more trombonists, and there is more. You know, there's there's so many. Jürgen is so active right now. Sure. Peter Moore. There's there's so many, and it's Chris Garfield. The list is endless. There's. They're just coming. They're uh -huh. popping out like <laughs> mushrooms, and it's awesome. I yeah, love it. Yeah. Uh, I love that um, there's more competition. That you know, I'm, I'm, you know, it's good. It's good. Yeah. Many more people doing what I'm doing is a good thing. Mm. Um, so I think that will just help elevate the entire community, the entire business of trombone playing. I think it will elevate that. Um, what I tell them is mostly have fun with what you do. I think that is the most important thing in life. Life is too short to do things that you don't enjoy. Um, if you, yes, obviously you're going to have times where you're not doing, going to enjoy every minute of touching this instrument. Yes, it, it's the same with the relationship. It goes with ups and downs. Um, but in general, you need to, I think, you need to love doing what you're doing to to have a fulfilled life mm -hmm. and uh, and then when you love what you're doing you're going to invest a lot of time because it matters to you and then you you will end up being good no matter what you do you will end up being good in what you desire doing if you want to become a very good teacher if you invest a lot of time you will become a good teacher if you want to become good at being a you know in a whatever you want to do really follow your passions i think that's the most important thing very often times in my studies I saw colleagues of mine that I don't know why they picked up the instrument in the first place maybe they mm. were guided by their parents or forced or whatever it was the circumstance that they picked up an instrument I didn't see the love in them in their connection with the instrument and then that translated to their practice routine that translated to 
to their entire attitude to making music. Mm. It wasn't. Yeah. It didn't mean so much to them. To me, it's, it has always been a hobby, always a dream, and always my my passion. So. I obviously care really a lot about it and I care about how I sound, I care about my posture when I play, I care about all these things. So I think it's really important that you love what you're doing. Uh, if you don't love it, if you don't love trombone, go do something else that you really love doing, you know. Yeah, sure. I think that's, we don't need more trombonists that don't love doing it, that mm -hmm. are just doing it for the wrong reasons. Mm -hmm. So I think that's really, really crucial mm. that you yeah. really ask yourself, what do I enjoy most doing? except maybe not doing anything because that's <laughs> it's also really fun not just to hang out and chill and relax yeah. and spend yeah. time with friends yeah. and family that's a really really fun um, distraction but you know find out what your purpose your goal your your passion is i think that's very very crucial and that will then help you because trust me there's many or believe me there's many moments where the career feels like it's going up and down and then performance and don't go as well as you want them to so there's a lot of ups and downs you can't always give up when it just goes a bit down because you know there's always the passion that will bring back the love for it and will open your eyes again why you're doing it mm -hmm. so i think that's really really crucial when you look at so many of the most uh, successful people in the industries they really love what they're doing mm -hmm. i think joe really loves what he's doing no, without that's question. why he's yeah. putting in yeah. all this time and it's yeah. making him happy and that's why he's the greatest mm. yeah. so i think that's really really important that you you love what you're doing i mm -hmm. think i really um, I saw that from Joe as a big inspiration always. Mm. And I think then when you find what you love doing, you have to really establish a work ethic. Joe really always works so hard. And I, I work really hard on all of this. Yeah. The entire business aspect of all of this is hard work. Yeah. So you need to get to gr grinding. You need to get to work. Uh, things don't just come at you. That's not how, how the world runs anymore. So um, sure. find what you love doing. And then get to grinding yeah. and find the fun and love yeah. in that grinding mm -hmm. because it's fun. There's so much fun in the practicing. Mm -hmm. I think that is really, really crucial. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, that's uh, great advice. And, uh, you know, the inspiration that you got from Joe, you're giving to the next generation right now. So uh, we sure appreciate it. I hope everybody enjoyed uh, today as much as, uh, as I did. It's just so wonderful to uh, get a chance to talk to this amazing artist and uh, check Peter out at steinerpeter.com. Uh, he is going to be doing a hip on you lesson. So um, definitely check that out and hear this uh, just remarkable instrumentalist. It's really uh, incredible what he's uh, playing and accomplished in all of the, uh, all the th aspects of his career. Peter, thank you so much thank you. for uh, Appreciate coming it. today and uh, best Super of luck fun. with the rest of the tour. And uh, we will see all of you next time on Bone to Pick. Ha <laughs> ha